Careful what you say. Careful what you said. I mean, it's not just what you say, it's what you've said, past tense. Have you, you got anything in your social media history that might, I don't know, come back and haunt you, maybe cancel you? Cancel. Cancel culture. What, what does that even mean? We have come to a point now. We are so busy shouting at each other, we can't even hear what we're saying anymore. We don't even know what the words mean. What does cancel culture mean? Let's go to dictionary.com. Cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable, objectionable or offensive. Hmm. Kind of a group shaming sort of thing. How is it that we use this term? Well, to help me understand it, I'm pleased to welcome to the program Bronwyn Bjorkman, who's a professor of linguistics at Queen's University. Professor, what can you tell me about the origin of the term cancel culture? So the origin of cancel culture uh, really comes out of uh, an extension of the verb to cancel. So that was used in sort of TV and music and movies um, sporadically with a meaning of to end a relationship. And then around 2015, uh, it started being used on Twitter, uh, particularly on black Twitter, uh, sort of saying you're canceled, say to a friend or someone you know, if they do something that you disagree with. And then that got extended to talking about public figures or celebrities uh, who had done things that people thought they should be held accountable for. And then the term cancel culture was kind of a reaction to that. So if you call something cancel culture, it's almost certainly the case that you disagree with this uh, canceling uh, discourse that sort of rose up uh, in particular online context. So, so now it has almost become weaponized by one side uh, against the other. I mean, can you give me a, a sense of where it is now? Yeah, I think uh, we're seeing a lot of things described. Um, I, would, I would say it appears to be used primarily on what we may think of as the right side uh, to object to um, calls for accountability uh, of public figures, you know, objecting to the idea that some people might withdraw their attention or withdraw their support uh, from certain people based on their actions or their public works. And does that... Does that mask a, 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 a sort of reckoning that is currently underway by, by you know, reducing it re down to you know, two words? That, does that sort of almost say, well, you know, if, is it or is it not happening? Yeah, I, I think it, it sort of uh, uh, a lot of things get called cancel culture now, um, sort of a full range from maybe somebody chooses uh, not to watch movies made by a certain person all the way through uh, to something like um, the recent Dr. Seuss books, which uh, simply uh, ceased to be published by, by the publishers themselves. And that whole range of things gets called uh, cancel culture, which I think simplifies that what's going on is maybe that uh, there's now uh, public speech that can be very visible by individuals outside of the media. So on platforms like Twitter and other social media. And, how do corporations play into this in terms of your understanding? Now we have, you know, corporations that react very quickly if, 
you know, if they somehow intersect with something that I'll just say the quote unquote woke mob, that's a term that I see bandied about, you know, goes after a certain thing and then a, a corporation will react very quickly. So, so speaking as a linguist, what I'm often interested in is what people are doing with language. So what individuals are doing with language. I think the um, decisions by uh, corporations or other uh, large institutions, they're really making sort of business decisions about what they see as being the public perception of uh, various people or uh, various actions, which is maybe a little bit separate from from mm-hmm. the use of the word cancel or cancel culture by individuals. I'm speaking with Bronwyn Bjorkman, who's a professor of linguistics at Queen's University. Um, how, how is it that language uh, evolves in terms of the way that, you know, what is acceptable today and then in the future becomes less acceptable? I'm, I'm thinking of Alexei McCammond here, the uh, teen Vogue editor who, you know, had some unfortunate racist tweets in, when she was a teenager, and then, you know, now they're brought up and, you know, she was let go from that position. I'm just wondering if you can talk about how language evolves and our understanding of it. Yeah, so there, so language does change over time, um, and uh, the words that are in current use, you know, come and go, and some words come and go quite quickly because, you know, they reflect a thing of the moment that we want to talk about. So maybe canceling and cancel culture does reflect, uh, you know, a thing that is that people need to talk about, and so they need a word for it. Um, I think that often uh, when we look at the use of terms in the past, um, it's usually not the case that in uh, sort of recent uh, history, what is and is not objectionable or racist has, has really changed um, in the kind of time span we're talking about right now, it's not that it you know wasn't objectionable at the time. I, it just might be that now we're having a moment where we're recognizing um, that things were unacceptable, um, and uh, you know that that accountability uh, is coming into play. Absolutely fascinating, Bronwyn. Thank you so much for coming on and helping us understand this further. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. That is Bronwyn Bjorkman, who is a professor of linguistics at Queen's University, talking about the origin of the term canceled culture and how it has changed and how we understand it now. It's sort of, as I've mentioned, been weaponized from the right. And meanwhile, on the left, it is actually something that is underway. And there is truly out there a kind of a gotcha kind of feeling. In terms of social media, for sure, there's a sense that if you say something outside the bounds, if you color outside of the lines, they might come to get you. Sheba Siddiqui is my producer, and Sheba, we talk about this all the time of my total fear of cancel culture. Uh, you always tell me that I'm just uh, too obsessed by this. Well, what are you worried about? Why do you think you're going to get canceled? What's your, why is this your biggest fear that keeps you up at night? Well, because I wonder, like, I just worry about the way that we all as kind of get lemming-like, where we just decide that, well, this is, you know, outside the bounds, and there's a kind of a, just a massive move as a society. Well, I don't know, and that person's canceled. And we've seen a number of cases where it has been, you know, it's been used inappropriately against people that I don't think deserved it. 
Yes, I do agree with you that I have seen cancel culture get out of control in some instances. But in some instances, it was very much justified and necessary. I do think it stems from there's a lot of resentment and anger out there historically of unfair happenings and vocabulary and advancements with certain people. And I think people are fed up. A lot of people are fed up, particularly Bronwyn spoke about, you know, within um, black culture. There are mm -hmm. people of color who are just fed up with it. And I think that's where this is stemming, stemming from, where there's such a small, uh, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? The sm like a small margin of error that people can make. I totally, I, I get that. You know, and, and I, I, I get that, you know, we're at a moment of reckoning. But here's what I see often, which is the most vocal advocates of, you know, so-and-so should be, quote-unquote, canceled, tends to, be, tends to be white people who are virtue signaling. I mean, I, those are the most, you know, the loudest and the, the most <laughs> egregious. Like, that is, I think that's where it's being driven by. Well, then you have to wonder what their intent is. It's to right? say, I'm look, I'm I'm more of an ally than the next guy. So they're you know, woke. That That's I'm not. Saying. I'm woke. I'm not part of the problem, <laughs> and so therefore I'm going to cast the other guy out of the lifeboat because I'm better than him. And I think that's underway. I think that having that being a white ally is very important. I do think that in many movements, white allies are necessary and welcome. Uh, so I don't see anything wrong with that, but I do think that th there are performative instances where I think most people can see through it, or I hope they can see through it, mm. that someone's intentions are not fully pure. Well, that's a fascinating thing, but it's still going to keep me up at night. I'm <laughs> we I'm won't cancel you, Alan. Don't worry. Uh, well, I, you say that. <laughs> David, I will vouch for you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Davis, our technical <laughs> producer, and he's just like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not coming to your defense, dude. You're on your own. You're on your own. Uh, the uh, DOFO show, let's just quickly talk about uh, what we are expecting tomorrow, which is potentially more restrictions. The cabinet meeting today, and we have been talking about the fact that, you know, what's left on the table. You know, Doug Ford always say everything's on the table, but really, what is left in terms of a mechanism that the government might have. We have hit record case counts again. We have record numbers in the ICUs, record number in the hospitals, and things are very serious. Uh, guys, what do you, I mean, what do you think? Does, does the government have any room to move here? Is there anything else in the, you know, in the holster? Oh, man, this, this topic really frustrates me. I think because we are just so far behind in every way I mean, I'm sitting here. My kids are in the next room. I'm mm. going to be staring at them for the next, I feel like, few months. They're not going back. They're not going back to school. No, they're not. And no. I mean, like, where are we on vaccines? Where are we? Look at the numbers for COVID. I just, I'm so frustrated. I'm so, I'm trying to hold my anger down. You know, let's all be positive, as yeah. Doug says. You're the gospel of DOFO. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Dave, our technical producer, how you feeling, man? How, how's, your, how's your mood? My mood really hasn't changed. I'm with Sheba on this one. Like we're really behind, and it's just it's really frustrating. I'm anxious to see my parents. I'm anxious to see my grandfather. I haven't seen him in over a year, and uh, it's just you know phone calls are one thing, but like actually going there and hugging him and um, it's 
it's tough. It really is. And I'm kind of at my end now. <laughs> well, you want to see um, more restrictions? You want to you want to see like the hammer come down? Would that would that help your state of mind or hinder? But what else can you do? I mean, curfew. That's it. Right. That's, that's the curfew. Thing. You can't go out past eight o'clock. Uh, but then look what happened in Montreal. That's what yeah. makes me worried. Is right. Exactly. In Who knows what's going to happen if that happens? Um, Again, I, I go back to my prediction that I think we're going to get a bit of saber rattling tomorrow. You know, sort of the sort of thing that makes it sound like there is a big heavy crackdown, but really there isn't. You know what I mean? It's going to be one of those. I think that's what's been going on for the last few months. To be honest with you, I right. think that we take two, we take one step forward and two steps back. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sheba. Thank you, Mr. Dave. Thank you to you for listening.